I don't wanna go to work I just wanna chill and play All day Looking dead in the face and say I wish I could just be still asleep While you work Welcome to the Jobs Glow podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Haas, and this is a podcast for dreamers with and without day jobs. This week's show is called Employers Must Wash Hands with Michael Cruz, partner and creative head at Summer Friday. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. So glad to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you because as we spoke a little bit about before we started, I launched this podcast kind of feeling, I think, probably the way you felt when your agency shut down during COVID and that whole thing happened. So you're actually outside of the porn star I had on here. You might be one of the <laughs> top my top interviews. So thank you. Amazing. I appreciate that. <laughs> so before we get started, I like to open with an inspirational quote or a quote that's relevant to this conversation. So I pulled this one. When a workplace becomes toxic, its poison spreads beyond its walls and into the lives of its workers and families. And that's from rising above a toxic workplace, taking care of yourself in an unhealthy environment. Do you agree with that statement, Michael? Yeah, I absolutely love that statement. And I completely align with it. I think as an employer, we have to understand the impact that we have in each other's lives. I talk about relationships quite a bit, and it's not client management in my perspective, it's people, it's relationships. Um, because even from a from an agency to client perspective, I mean, we're still dealing with people. So I love that. I think it's it's a perfect quote for what we're going to get into. <laughs> and speaking of, so I named the show Employers Must Wash Hands because I was thinking a lot about, it feels like so often in this country, in this world, corporations have managed to spin, and I'm in PR, so I feel really guilty about it, but managed to spin things to putting everything back on the employees, on the middle America. Like it's the whole thing, even with the environment, you know, all these corporations are polluting the environment, but somehow you and I should take action at home and not that we shouldn't, but there are corporations that could do a lot more, a lot to make, you know, make a difference a lot more quickly. So a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, and actually a lot of what I preach is a little bit of that in terms of putting the responsibility onto our employees, but in the way of training them, I have to take note of what I say, which is, you know, vulnerability is critical uh, from a leadership perspective. So I'm going to go vulnerable on this, in this show. And I'm going to say that my personal journey started about five years, maybe six years ago. And that personal journey, I believe, has made me a better leader today. So when I take note of what's going on within the walls of our organization, I do bring it back to a very human personal level. And we look at personal growth and the way our teams are developing and the way they manage conflict, um, the way they are sort of emotionally intelligent around what they're feeling and then communicating that back to the broader team. So communication is important, but it did start with me. So in a lot of ways, uh, the only way I could sort of speak to this and lead the team the way we have been, and it's a group effort, um, is through that exploration of personal growth, vulnerability, really acknowledging the types of communication that needs to happen in order to avoid 
that toxic work environment. Because honestly, when I look back at my days at Drum, you know, there were very good intentioned people uh, really looking to do better. Everyone was focused on the work and how to evolve it. But there was a lot of ego and a lot of insecurity, a lot of really fixed ways about approaching a problem. And there wasn't enough give. That's not good. No. And before we go too far down this path, because I, I, I totally support everything you're saying, I think our audience needs to have the, the background on drum and sure. why you are our guest, why you are my guest today, because it's in my head, it's in yours, but it's not in theirs. So Absolutely. why don't we talk a little bit about drum and your history there and what took you to uh, Summer Friday? Sure, absolutely. And actually, it goes back a little bit. So about 16 years back, um, I started a company with my still business partner, Rob Simone, uh, and it was Hiccup Media. And Hiccup Media was more focused on content uh, production. And we went from there, uh, we kind of grew our business and through mergers and acquisitions, pulling in services like media buying and strategy and web development, uh, lathered up to what became Drum Agency, which was fairly large agency. It was one of the largest privately owned agencies in the United States uh, with about, when we started, close to 150 employees. By the time we left, it was just over 100, maybe under, um, but pretty close. And what happened was, you know, Drum Agency was really responding to that normal sort of agency approach. We're, We're agency of record. We can kind of do everything for our clients. And that's what we did. But it became a chase for profits. So do you want me to sort of get into what happened, I guess, last year? It's, it feels like it's been so long since COVID. No, I, I definitely want to know. So are you saying, though, that you were a partner at Trump? I was. Yeah, I was one of the partners. There were a few that sort of came up based on mergers and acquisitions, but I was effectively one of four. So it was myself, Rob, George Wiedemann, and Ken Lamazny. Okay. So, yes, tell us the story of what happened. Because I think it's really interesting knowing that you were a partner and this, how this all went down. So yes. Tell yeah, hundred percent. And, and, you know, part of my growth through that journey was, it was a, certainly challenging. I went from a company where it was 50, 50 and my voice was very much heard. And when you're growing your business and you sort of look to a larger corporation that's uh, enveloping your current business you kind of look for a lot more guidance. Um, I'm saying this because certainly uh, weighed on my approach. Um, I became a bit more quiet and silenced in my leadership role, which I'm not proud of. But essentially, you know, coming in as a creative director and doing my part, really um, taking sort of orders in terms of like, what do you need from me? Because we felt we were growing up and there's a lot of fear around that. A big organization like that, you really try to apply different levels of process. And we feel like we need that process to stay on our true course to North and, you know, maintain the level of professionalism and profits that we need to keep running. So there's a lot of this, these ideologies that come into running a bigger corporation that we, I personally was just not used to coming from my own startup. So we, we journeyed into that. It was Rob Simone as well, again, who's my current partner. We went on that journey And frankly, you know, we had no say around uh, how the culture developed and really putting uh, the emphasis that we we felt was critical into culture 
it kind of took a back seat from everything else. So typical agency story, it was land a client, move on to the next to find another client and we'll figure out how to make it work and we'll put the teams on it, which is fine. But the morale was just shot, you know, and the teams weren't functioning efficiently because we were always chasing and there was so much fear around whether or not we'll, we'll reach our numbers to sustain the goals. And, and quite frankly, we, no one had any ideas of what the goals were, like what were we were working towards, what were we trying to build? And there was no one really fully guiding that ship. And what happened during COVID early on, essentially the majority partners decided at the start that it was no longer a viable business. Uh, we had grown too large and chased too many opportunities and kind of fell short on a few. Honestly, it felt like COVID was an out. An email went out and it was around April. April wow, 4th. not even that long into COVID. No, not at all. And it wasn't. And, and it felt like a scapegoat option, but we won't get into that too much. But April 4th, an email went out to the entire organization just saying that this was the last day. And the same email went out to all of our clients who had just paid for work saying that we weren't going to honor our agreements. And it was devastating because now you had nearly a hundred employees who we felt critically responsible for out in the world unemployed during the height of uncertainty. And did they, did people get good packages at least insurance? That was nothing. I mean, you know, it was, it was done. We were just done. Okay. So because I don't often get someone who was at the top of a company, what is your feeling about the wage discrepancy that's going on in this country? Don't you feel that if people weren't making 400% more than the average worker, there would not that need to chase and chase and you could potentially close that gap and people could relax a little bit more? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly. I think the way people look at talent, human equity, the value they bring um, is truly, it's twisted a bit. Um, I would say that, you know, we didn't, ha we had a lot of people who were well paid. I think the wages is one thing. I think that there are organizations who are probably quite uneven there. I don't know if, if, if Drum was suffering from that per se. But it's certainly a drain, right? And and I think that it's also an interesting conversation when we think about the race to the top in this industry specifically, because you have a lot of people who are at the top and they're more directing and organizing without executing so much so. You know, and I, I think that gets down a dicey road to some extent. <laughs> right. Because there's some value there. But more importantly, it's it's a matter of I do believe that leadership is absolutely critical. And one of the things that we were missing is, is, is that sort of guidance, that clarity and a leadership team that understood and could speak down towards everyone else. So outside of the books and the numbers, which again, there are a million agency models they're trying to solve for sustainability, whether or not they're invested in the products that they're actually marketing and staked, uh, whether or not they're actually creating proprietary software or licensing out technology that needed to be developed. There are agencies who are looking at the model because it is flawed. 
and trying to find other revenue sources so that they don't lean so much so on client work. And we're not far from that ourselves. I mean, we're absolutely exploring different models to support what we'll call the rainy days. Well, you know, it's interesting because you've mentioned culture a few times and I interviewed a woman on here who was a career coach as she worked for, I can't remember what the agency was, but she had mentioned that they had done a poll of what people look for in jobs. Culture dropped significantly Mm -hmm. since COVID that it, it, the shift was more about benefits and I forget what Interesting. Were, but that I think, and I also have to wonder, I mean, there's been a lot of work from home, right? So are yeah. people just like, you know what, fuck it. I don't really care about being friends with the people I work with. I would mm-hmm. rather have a healthy existence and be able to spend time with my family. That's great. I mean, that's an interesting survey. I think that one of the things that is most interesting what I'm recognizing is that we, we compete with a lot of very large agencies. We're very small. And by the way, only a year old, right? And we've got a tight team. But what I've noticed is as we're going through our interviews, you don't really understand the impact of culture until you feel it. And it's a conversation. And mm-hmm. it's like a weight that gets lifted. So I feel like people are probably looking for that level of security, which makes sense to me. We want security. We want the benefits. We want to know that we're stable and, and steady, like big agency, get me in, please. I just need some security. Right. Um, but I, I, I do believe that culture is, is absolutely still critical to the way the organization functions and the work that's delivered. Right. Well, I think people tend to think of it as more of like, oh, we're going to go bowling. And, and yes, mm, right? no, yeah. culture is much bigger and, if it means not having a toxic work environment, that would be really close to the top for me. But I want you to talk about your evolution into Summer Friday. So mm. you're out of work, drum closed, go. Out of work, drum closed. We are now in April and I get a phone call from Rob Simone and he's like, hey, so uh, what do you want to do at this point? Do you want to start something else? And I'm like, hell no. There's no fucking way. I'm done. The industry sucked every last bit of what I had as a soul out. I was struggling, deeply struggling with everything going on and the bureaucracy. And frankly, I had a job offer already um, in a corporation that was massive with a ton of benefits and the security I'd need. Right. And it was simple. I said, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think I can do it, man. And he's like, well, we've got all these people who are out of work. And I think that it would, be awful if we didn't try. And I thought about the people and I thought about our relationship, myself and Rob. And I was like, you know what, man, this is the, here's the true fact of it is unless we get deep into what I now truly believe is the most critical thing, which is culture. If we don't get into this and mandate it, not make it a mission, but mandate that we have a real focus around culture, culture, not just being the bowling and the time off and all of that and the mental health breaks. Sure. But I think it's more from an, again, inside outlook. And it comes from a lot of my own personal work through the years while I was at drum, you know, I suffered a lot of trauma in my life that was unexpected. So I needed to go inward. If we weren't going to focus on developing people first, then I just wasn't, I wasn't game. 
and we had about a five hour conversation where he just really opened up and was completely honest from his perspective. Rob was the president of drum. Um, oh, wow. he moved up. Yeah. He moved up quickly and he was the right person for the job. So in a lot of ways, he, you know, he and I, as partners, he was pushing me and saying, get on board. We need to make this work. And I was like, this is not where I need to be. Like this, this train is it's done. It, it made it stop like five stops to go. So it, it, it brought a, a real gap. It created a chasm between our relationships. So we were just mending it. And in a five hour conversation with some vulnerability and transparency, I was on board with them again. And that led to calling up our clients and getting a couple of awesome ACE employees to stick around who we had built relationships with. And we actually asked the team to give us a free month. Like we couldn't pay them. But if you give us a month and we called some of our clients, we're like, we're going to just do the work. I know, you, I know we don't, you're not paying summer Friday and this is an old obligation, but we can't feel good about this. So we're just going to finish off the work. Some of those people that we did that for clients, amazing. They had our back just the same. And they're like, whatever you need, we'll do it. And they became our biggest clients today. We're talking relationships that have lasted 16 years now through multiple transitions, some of our clients. And you can't get there by just doing the work. You have to really know the people. Wow. I, you know, it's so funny. I just, I try to imagine you if you had accepted that job and I don't think you would have been very happy. You're probably right. I'm certainly happy now. And even that is a shock to me, but it is, it's, it's absolutely been in the most humbling way, a beautiful evolution. And we've developed what I truly believe is like a, a small family here. And it all comes from a good place. You know, I think the, you know, you read the, the stories of like the Netflix and that team mentality approach, which to me felt sort of cold. But right. I think when you have a family and you have, if you truly believe in the intentions of people, it can still feel warm and, and be just as, uh, I don't want to say cutthroat, but as honest as like, this isn't working, right? You could say that, but it comes from a really good place this time. It doesn't come from a negative, fearful place. It comes from a place of, we want you to evolve to be the best person. Right. So now I have some questions. My first question is knowing what you went through with drum, as far as size goes, are you kind of like, we don't need to keep growing. Let's get to a certain point and make it work. 100%. I mean, we have a, we have a plan. We share that plan with the team and we're actually actually pretty close to it uh, just a year out. So we had no idea the growth that we had was going to be the situation here, but it has been. And we're being extremely mindful around how much more we grow for that exact reason. Not to say that we don't believe that we can scale this, but I think that there's a real challenge with taking on too much of the work and not providing the quality back to your clients, which happens all too often. You land the work, you do the bare minimums, or you just kick the can down the road in terms of responsibilities or deliverables. While you're kicking the can, you're trying to find a way to you know, diversify your portfolio with another client. And then you land that client and now you got two problems to solve. So there is that that's just incessant. Like it, it runs rampant in our industry. Um, and we're trying not to do that. Yeah, no, it, that's everywhere I've ever been. So then my next question to you is, 
do you have a human resource department and are they really human? So we, we have, uh, it's a small group. So I'll give you the names. <laughs> it's myself, uh, Alicia and Sarah. So Alicia Wiedemann and Sarah Roberts and Rob Simone. We kind of like have segmented our roles to some degree. So Sarah's our chief operating officer and she does, she's our CFO and she does all these different things and kind of we lean on her for human resource as well. And we leverage tools and such, but we're not as structured as, you know, what you would normally find from a traditional agency sense. Our team's not big enough yet. I manage creative and execution and Alicia's on strategy and Rob is our president and also new business development and our guiding star to some extent in terms of building out models and and such, what's going to make us sustainable. So it's a small team, but I think what we do really well is we are trying to build leaders on every level. We're looking, you know, from the top all the way down, doesn't matter how big your role is. And what that means, and this is what I believe culture to mean, is that we are communicative and we're looking out for each other and we're voicing our honest opinions without the fear of getting any lashback or fear of criticism. So with that kind of level of honest communication across the organization, we kind of start to hold each other up in different ways which I think is the right type of human resource. It's really hearing the problem and then that coming up the chain, wherever that lands to leadership and then us honoring however we can solve it, the issue for these people. So sometimes it's almost like a, sometimes it's like a secret treasure in your desk. You, You didn't know you had a problem, but suddenly one of us is solving it. And I think the gratitude that comes from that is tremendous. So we'll hear about certain issues, be proactive about it address those issues somewhere in the background and and kind of come back to it and and it's solved in that way. So we haven't had any issues. We're very small. We don't necessarily have a traditional HR department. So what would you do? Because you are still, what'd you say? How many people did you tell me you that work there? We're probably approaching 30 now by the end of the year. So we're at 30, I'll call it. So what would you do if someone came in, they presented themselves in a way that you thought they would be a fit. And then once they got in there, you started to see toxic behavior. Perfect. Amazing question. It's it's a very transparent conversation, but it's more, again, from a training perspective, I've had these conversations, for example, without calling anyone out, but there, there's a tendency to sort of bash the client a couple of times. Like you're trying to do well by the client, you're presenting ideas and there's pushback from the client and there's concerns from the client. And it's very easy to get on a call and be like, oh, they're such a pain in the ass. And oh, like they can't get out of their own freaking way. Like what do we need to do? And and I try to nip that in the bud. Um, So I go in and I'll have a separate conversation with, you know, either team members who are at the top leading a team or even anywhere in between and say, yeah, we don't do that that way here and, and break down why. And it's not usually a conversation of if you say that and the client gets upset, we might lose the client or you can't say that kind of stuff. Just keep it between you and I. It's like, no, no, no. We're, we're working with people. They, they have a job and an obligation. There are people they are reporting to. 
there's concern, real concern. So we have to manage it that way. So acknowledge the fact that everyone's trying to do their best. And instead of bashing them or starting to spread that sort of toxic language, forget all that. Like, let's let's address them as we would someone we really love. Address them with a real commentary as to why they can trust us and a real solution. And if you can't come up with that, then it might be your own ego. Like, let's look at that. And these are real conversations. Yeah, what if the client, though, is actually the toxic? We don't take them on. It's happened. <laughs> wow. I love to hear that. I love to hear that. Yeah, we, it's happened. We had an amazing opportunity and it was I it was uh, it was clear that they were not in line with with our culture and the way we do things. Um, and it wasn't going to benefit them and it wasn't going to benefit us. So we just didn't let it in. Wow. That's amazing. Good for you. I also um, wanted to talk to you about your review process because I was reading a recent interview that you did talking about how you handle the review process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, everyone's sort of familiar with that review process. Some people get that gut-wrenching feeling like, oh God, I need to prep a presentation as to what I've been up to this past, you know, three, six months, whenever that review comes. And there's anxiety around it. And actually, there's anxiety around even a, a meeting hitting your calendar with one of your you know, managers. We didn't want that. So we, we launched uh, a, a strategy around a review process that was less about what have you done for us and more about what would make this your dream job? What's in your way? What kind of personal growth are you after? I think that shifting it that way, it's a really... It's actually interesting because it's really difficult to respond to. Like a lot of our staff was like, I don't know. Like I hadn't even thought about this. Again, I come from the personal development side. I've been on this journey for about five, six years now. So these kinds of questions I ask daily. But when you're not focused around your needs in some way, one, you're surprised when you're asked. <laughs> and two, you're not readily available for your response and in a, in a really beautiful, honest way. But when we ask these questions, Aside from the actual work, I think what the team started to recognize is that we care about them, period. And I think that if we can show up as an organization and support people's personal growth goals, then that gives back 10 times, 10x. It gives back to the rest of the team. Um, it builds this level of security, removes a certain layer of fear, and that ultimately spills into the work and our process and how we deliver to our clients. Well, and I have to say, I was talking with someone about the review process recently, and I just feel like sometimes people get forced into saying things because they feel like they need to, mm -hmm. the way it's presented, like what five things does this person do well? What five things do they not do well? Like maybe mm -hmm. you don't have five things that you don't, you know what I'm saying? And I, I just feel like I, I think the way you do it is in such so much more of a positive way of positioning it, because I think most people think of the review process as I'm either going to get in trouble, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it feels more negative than it does positive. So yeah, um, yeah. no, I, I love that. Do you know who Dan Price? <laughs> Dan Price? Yeah, I do. Yeah. What do you think? I just think what he did with his company is amazing. And I, I follow him on Twitter. I just think that he's fantastic. Am I thinking around the, about the same Dan Price? Maybe I don't know not. if I do then. 
So Dan Price uh, was he had a company in I think Seattle and he he cut his Is it credit card? I think maybe, but he cut okay. his salary and gave everybody seven like seven dollar mm. minimum and it changed the employees' lives. His, the work got was better. There you know, it's just been I mean he That's beautiful. Yeah, and it's amazing though because he talks about how he's had his life threatened. Because people don't want to hear that messaging. People don't want to hear that you can do that and still survive and run a company. You know, other bosses don't. Want yeah. To. Well, that's, that's what the beauty, if anything from COVID is that, you know, big corporations can't really shelter themselves behind some old ideologies as, as much as they did before. So yeah, that's, I hear that. I can, I can see that as well, but that's a beautiful story. Yeah, no, I, I really, really like his story. So where do you see your company in five years? Hmm. Good question. You know, maybe that's more of a question for Rob Simone. <laughs> I personally, you know, I, I, I wouldn't change what we're doing. I think that what we are working on, like I alluded to earlier, was a business model that can sustain us during those hard times. So it's really about diversifying diversifying to the point that we can provide what we need to provide to our employees on every level without um, the fear of, you know, will we make our profits this year? So that is our goal. I think that if in five years we're moving, uh, I think our portfolio would be diversified to the point where we have client revenue as well as um, investment, you know, certain investments that might be bringing in some revenue for the team. Amazing. That's usually the worst question to ask in a job interview. So I'm glad you handled it quite well. <laughs> oh, thank you. Very buttoned up. I uh, appreciate that. All right. Well, you know, and you're the way you've been talking about your employees, I'm curious. So, you know, as somebody's growing within your company, but obviously they reach a point where maybe there's no more room for growth. How do you handle mm-hmm. that conversation? Oh, we love that. I think it's a beautiful thing. We had someone who we absolutely love. He was an amazing, amazing copywriter. And he was one of our starters. He was our original, one of the first to come on board. And he went on to an amazing opportunity to write for Netflix and understand it, man. We get it. And we sent him a gift. I think that's how we handled it. When we say, you know, we want to see people grow, we truly mean it. It's a good feeling. Um, but what if good what if there's not it's not someone leaving for an opportunity they're happy there but like mm-hmm. you realize they've kind of they've reached, reached their ceiling yeah well I mean I think what we're doing is we're building we're building entrepreneurs we say it quite often and with that sense there's always a problem to solve so I think I I don't see a scenario where somebody hits a wall or a ceiling and they will not have a conversation with us one um, nor do i see a scenario where we wouldn't actively try and solve for what they can do next too you know as far as to build an innovation lab and and go on your own with certain clients like we will entertain it i think uh we are there's very little fear within our walls and maybe that comes from the fact of starting an agency like we did at the height of a situation <laughs> But with that, it, we, we will move forward with the boldness of if you're interested in exploring something that's even outside your function, 
let us help you build that. And maybe that becomes another stream of revenue. Who knows? Yeah, no, I was wondering about that because I mean, the reality is you can't keep everyone happy all the time and people are going to grow and you have to address it. And a hundred percent. And actually I, funny story. I just looked up Dan and he's very close to two friends of mine, Lenan uh, Saperstein, who, who is an amazing coach and she just celebrated her birthday. I was on a zoom with her. So it seems like he's within the same circles. So it does not surprise me that he would do something like this. Yeah. Well, you should follow him, get him closer to your circle. All right. Well, so it's time for our game. I don't know that it's a very exciting game. I, I try, but sometimes I just, yeah, I, I can't keep coming. We'll make it exciting. Okay. Let's go. So it's called office staff. It's, okay. did you ever watch the office? Tell me you did. Uh, I did. I okay. did. I recently rewatched it, but okay. yeah. Yes, I did too during COVID. Okay, so I'm going to name the characters and I need you to tell me if they're a member of the drum staff or Summer Friday. So oh my God, okay. All right. All right. Maybe I don't know the characters that well. This is going to be a challenge for me. All right, ready? Go for Michael it. Michael Scott. Mm, I, it, I'm going to say... This is this is good. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say he is definitely more on the drum side, and probably a couple of leaders I know who is definitely <laughs> more like. <him. laughs> right. How about Pam Beasley? Pam, Pam, I'd say there's definitely uh, Summer Friday. Uh, I think she was fairly committed, so I'm gonna go with that. Okay, and would you separate her from Jim Halpert? Um, I would have to because of the potential drama. <laughs> so, does that, but, so does that mean you'd keep his nemesis, Dwight Schrute, with you at Summer Friday? Oh, no. <laughs> no, Dwight's got it. I don't know about Dwight. Like, Dwight's, <laughs> Dwight might, I mean, if I had to keep Dwight, um, I mean, maybe there's a function for him. I'm not, I'm not close-minded. Maybe you, you'll get a big a beat industry client. Um, what about Angela Martin, the blonde? Uh, Angela, what's that? Dwight's girlfriend, Angela. Yeah, I'd say she is definitely, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say drama as well. Okay. Her and her cats, her love of cats. Um, yeah, we had some characters. I mean, not to say that we don't have characters now, but I'm going to stick with that one. Okay, and I have Kelly Kapoor. Okay, Kelly, I would definitely say is, she's certainly, yeah, she's on the Summer Friday team. I think it's amazing that Mindy Kaling was writing so many of those episodes. Uh, Mindy is amazing. Um, I think it's, yeah, I love what she does. All right. And I can't think of what was, what was the guy, I don't have him on my list, but the guy that she dated that became like, he, he ended up being a big wig and then he had a big Coke problem and he ended up being the intern again. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking um, about? You're putting my knowledge to work. Let me think. Uh, was it Daryl? No, Daryl was no? The, the warehouse guy that Kelly dated to make Ryan, Ryan. That's Ryan. Okay. Ryan. <laughs> where, where's Ryan. Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm going to throw them to the drum side. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for playing along my creative game. Uh, You're welcome. That was a, that was interesting. I'm not, 
I did not expect that one. Well, I like to try to, you know, ease out now. We we had some toxic conversation, just trying to lighten the mood. Hopefully uh, some good ones. Yes. Yes. So, Michael, do you have any social channels that you can tell our audience, the our audience to follow? Um, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I believe it's just Michael Cruz will, will definitely find me. Summer Friday. You can follow me on LinkedIn. That's great. Um, it's probably my only channel. And then otherwise, you can follow the Summer Friday uh, social uh, channels, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, if you like. I don't even know if we have a Facebook. I think we do. And, we um, and then certainly visit the site. I didn't huh? even ask you about your clients. Who are your clients? Well, we have a lot of clients. So um, some of our larger clients, we work with Cigna, E-Trade. Um, we work with National Grid, who's utility. Um, and then we have a couple of different uh, challenger brands in the fintech space. We have, uh, you know, a couple of national banks. Um, we also do a lot of work for Sony on the entertainment side. So pretty fairly distributed, but I'd say in terms of verticals, health, finance, and utility space. Well, yeah, those are great clients. Congratulations. Um, which clients were the ones that you were able to pick up and work with right away that kept you going? E-Trade has been amazing. They've been with us for 16 years now. Um, we've outlasted a lot of their staff members and uh, Signo was incredible, incredibly, incredibly supportive. Maybe it's the nature of their work in looking out for people, but it was probably the most heartfelt uh, moment was when they basically told Rob Simone and us that they had our back. And, you know, it was a very small engagement to start with, but we've nurtured the relationship to where we're extremely happy that we can call them one of our top clients. Well, I mean, I love that your story, it, it you know, went from toxic to success and that's great. And I think you and Rob obviously have a great relationship and, you know, he worked well together. And I want to shout out Alicia and Sarah as well. Um, they were just uh, incredible. I didn't actually get to know them as much as I do now uh, within the walls of drum which is just, again, it's a shame, but to recognize the professionalism and care that they bring and the, and seeing that sort of trickle down to the rest of the team or trickle across to the rest of the organization has been incredible. So I absolutely love them. Well, and also you changed their stories, right? They could have had really sad COVID loss, job loss story. You changed it. So oh, thank you for that. Yeah. They were definitely part of the, they were one of the calls as well. They were on Rob's list. He went down. So I think we changed all our lives together because if they weren't on board, I don't know if we would have made it. Well, I lost my job during COVID and I don't have that same story. So <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, I Great. appreciate that. But you know what? You're here. And I think beautiful things can come from those who rise up to the challenges. Well, thank you. And thank you for joining me on the Jobs Blow podcast. You can find us at jobsblowpodcast.com, Jobs Blow podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I'm Brianna Haas, and thank you. Please review, subscribe, and keep listening. 